0: What is up? I am Evan Lovett, and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, episode number 24 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett, and we are back. You know where we're at. We're in the IM Studios in the heart of Los Angeles. And I'm going to jump right into today's episode, which is all about the money. Specifically, the money we make. This is the income episode. So, as I drive through LA, I'm always taken aback at just how many quote-unquote nice neighborhoods there are. Wealthy enclaves from Bel Air to Manhattan Beach to Ladera Heights, and now million-dollar homes are popping up everywhere in between, from Silmar to Downey to North Hills, where I grew up, which is kind of nuts to think about. So I've always wondered, how are there so many people in LA that can afford these homes, and how much money do people in Los Angeles make anyway? Now, this comes as affordable housing is such a hot-button issue. Many people struggle to make ends meet working paycheck to paycheck. And the thing is, The number that's considered low income in Los Angeles will shock you. It shocked me. It's way higher than I thought. Again, this is the number for low income. And frankly, this has me worried for those of us in LA trying to eke out a living. So check your bank balances, scrape up your savings, and pay attention. This is one thing that's not going to cost you anything. It's the income episode. Let's get into it. The impetus for this episode is something that happened in LA this week. Like I said, a study came out saying that if you are a single person in Los Angeles making about $70,000 a year, you're considered low income. This is according to a new statewide study. Think about that. $70,000 a year is low income. We need to dive into that and figure out how the heck there are 10 million people living in Los Angeles, if that's the case. And I need to talk about this study and establish the credibility and the fact that this isn't just a sensational headline. This is from the California Department of Housing and Community Development. They released a report and they found that income limits, per their definition, have increased in most counties across California, specifically LA, Los Angeles County. And how do they calculate these income limits? Well, they're calculated annually based on federal guidelines. And they're used to determine eligibility for certain programs, such as affordable housing. And the limits change based on the number of people in a household, and of course, as cost of living increases. So HUD, Housing and Urban Development, annually updates its public housing and Section 8 income limits to reflect changes in median family income levels for different size households and income for extremely low, very low and low income. So as we said, the $70,000 a year mark is considered low income. And just to check those other boxes, very low income is 44,000 a year. Extremely low income is considered 26,000 a year and acutely low is considered 10,000 a year. Now, with the cost of living in Los Angeles, and we've discussed this on previous episodes, affordability is absolutely a real concern. And by the way, the median income in Los Angeles County is 98000 which seems pretty damn high. And the median is the number where half of the people are below and half the people are above. I mean, do half of the people you know make over $100,000 a year because... The people I know surely don't. I mean, some do. We all have some successful friends, but half the people, again, this is one person. I, I I mean, but these are the real figures. This is This is the housing and urban development state of California. So there is a real wealth gap. And I don't want to get too bogged down in numbers, but I want to put this in another perspective. I dug into the U.S. Census Bureau income data because, I mean, again, this this is just insane, these numbers. So we always hear about the top 1% and maybe this will kind of put this in relative terms, okay? To be in the top 1% of earners in Los Angeles, listen to this, that number is $745,000 a year. So if you have dreams of being in that top 1%, at least here in LA, you're going to have to make three quarters of a million dollars in a year. What about the top 5%? Hey, that's more attainable, right? To be in the top 5% of earners in LA, you got to earn $517,000 a year just to be in the top 5%. And now I'm thinking top 5% is, is one out of every 20 people. So you're telling me one out of Every 20 people in LA makes over 500 grand a year. What the, what, what? I know more than 20 people. I I don't know how many of them make 500 grand a year, but let's do top 20%, okay? One out of five. You need to earn $135,000 a year to be in the top 20%. I mean, that number, just to be in the top 20%, no wonder there are so many million dollar homes. Like what the heck? We did an employment episode. We figured out the the industries that people are working in, but man, that is a lot of money just to be in the top 20%. And then you want something that really opened my eyes? The bottom 20%. If you make 39,000 a year or less, you're in the bottom 20%. So there is a real disparity here in Los Angeles. And going back to homes, I mean, again, so many million dollar homes according to the OC register ironically Orange County Los Angeles has 370,000 homes valued at a million dollars or more this is in 2021 that is a lot of million dollar homes 370,000 there are only 4.2 million million dollar homes in the entire country so Los Angeles is home to roughly one out of every 11 U.S. residences that's valued at a million dollars or more? What? I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Again, you're driving around. You see all these nice houses, these nice neighborhoods. I always wonder who lives there. I guess everybody just makes a ton of money here. I mean, consider the wealth concentration in Los Angeles this way, okay? Take the other 49 states and subtract Florida, Washington, and new york los angeles has more million dollar homes than those other 47 states sorry the other 46 states combined i want to repeat that los angeles has more million dollar homes than 46 states combined unbelievable Again, wealth gap comes to mind. I know people looking for home. I know people looking, been looking to buy their first home for 10 years, just waiting for prices to come down. It's insane. And again, who are these people? There's so many people. I mean, is it actors and actresses? I know we have a lot of wealthy people. Tech? I mean, dude, this is insane. So what I wanted to dig into was where is this wealth concentrated? Well- Luckily, the LA Times recently printed a piece in their Mapping LA series about median income by what they determine is to be 272 neighborhoods formally recognized in Los Angeles. Side note on that neighborhood number I just did an LA in a Minute episode that showed that LA Times is about 300 neighborhoods short because by our count, LA has 572 neighborhoods and counting. But you can peep that episode. I get into the methodology there. We're here for the income. So based on this LA times mapping LA series, based on their categorization, here's what we're looking at. The top five neighborhoods in Los Angeles by median income. No real shockers on this list. Okay. Number one, Bel Air median median in Bel Air, 208,000 a year. Number two, hidden Hills. Hills. Yeah, they want to stay hidden because they have so much money. $203,000 a year. Number three is Rolling Hills. $185,000. Beverly Crest, number four. Pacific Palisades, number five. And now let's look at the bottom five. Keeping in mind, by the way, that Pacific Palisades, $168,000 a year. Median income there. And again, this isn't counting up. generational wealth inherited wealth this is just straight income people working i mean there's a lot of retired all this kind of stuff but that figure is still outlandish so pacific palisades at number five 168 000 a year but let's look at the bottom five you want to talk disparity check this out i'm gonna go fifth to last down to last fifth to last is pico union median income there twenty-six 000. fourth lowest is watts Median income twenty five thousand, then Chinatown twenty three thousand, University Park eighteen thousand, and coming in last on the mapping L A. by neighborhood median income is downtown Los Angeles. Median income of residents of downtown Los Angeles is fifteen thousand dollars. Now, again, I know people who live in downtown. And what's ironic is that. A lot of them are these, you know, financial types or younger people that have moved here and got jobs and thought downtown's cool. So, I mean, I don't know if this is ha- how the methodology works, but this is LA Times, whom I trust for something like this. And again, to repeat, the median income is the amount of money earned by the household that falls exactly in the middle of the pack. But man, the difference between Bel Air and... Median income, $208,000, and downtown median income, $15,000. I mean, you're talking about, let me do this math real quick, probably about 14 households in downtown to equal one in Bel Air. Now that is disparity. And for a second, let's discuss episode number nine of In A Minute With Evan Lovett. I talked about housing costs are insane. The average rent in Los Angeles is $2,700 a month. So how are people affording that? Because again, at the top of the list, you're, you're homeowners. Those are affording the million dollar homes. But how are people even affording the rent? How are they affording to live? I mean, man, these are rhetorical, but this is a serious question. I mean, these these income this income was really eye-opening for me. And And just a couple other communities that stood out for me, by the way. Ladera Heights. 117,000. They come in 22nd overall. Castaic was 28th. 108,000. Where's Beverly Hills? Get this. Only 37th. Median income there was 96K. Santa Clarita was 50th. 88,000. North Hills, where I grew up, 184th. Median income, 52,000. Los Feliz, 190th. That's kind of surprising to me. It's trendy and whatever it is. 50,000 is the median income van nuys where i was born near the bottom 41k Boyle heights medium income 33k so yeah income is all over the place in los angeles and there is a definite wealth gap and that's the story of income in la wow okay so now that we figured out who's rich who's poor where all the income is in Los Angeles and why we're still all looking up at those beautiful houses in the the hills and the beaches of Los Angeles. I have a pretty sweet, if you're going to do one thing in LA this week, do this segment. Regardless of where you stand on your income, I'm going to give you my favorite things to do in LA that are free. I'm going to give you some info, some facts about each that'll hopefully make you appreciate them a little bit more. Or at least help you uh, impress your friends. (laughs) But seriously, check this out. Check this out. All right, I'm going to start off with the Venice Canals. I don't know how many of you have been there, recently at least. But, you know, it's seriously gorgeous. I got pictures of it and I... You know, it takes all my willpower to not post, but it does seem like you're really in a different part of the country. It's so walkable. They got these nice hills and bridges and, you know, I don't know about going in the canals, but what a unique place in Los Angeles. And the reason why it seems like a foreign country is because it was supposed to be based on a foreign country, specifically Italy, Venice, of course. In 1905, it was built by developer Abbott Kinney of, you know, Abbott Kinney's the street in Venice. And he wanted to recreate the appearance in the field of Venice in coastal Los Angeles. And the area that are now canals was marshes and, and a lagoon. And Kinney, who was a millionaire, tobacco millionaire, by the way, dug several miles of the canals, drained the marshes, and really did bring a taste of Venice to LA. Go look at these old pictures. I'll post them. It was beautiful and it was fun. And, and it was like being in Italy. But the problem was by the 1920s, just like everything else in LA, when cars took over, the canals began to be viewed as outdated. And what also happened is they struck oil, a ton of oil. So they were planting oil, derrick, planting, building oil derricks all over the place. And, By 1929, they started filling in the canals to make room for paved roads. And there were a couple left. But by the 40s, the canals fell into disrepair. And part of the area was condemned by the city. So it took until 1993 until they reopened the canals proper. And I got to tell you, the last 30 years, they've just been improving. And it's a really fun place to go for free regardless of what your income is. Next up, I talk about this all the time. I got no shame. It's the Hollywood sign. It's one of my favorites. And it's cliche, but I got to tell you, when I went up there, it wasn't quite life-changing, but it made me appreciate Hollywood and the significance of that sign. And I need to mention that the Hollywood sign is, is 100 years old this year, so it's even cooler, man, in Los Angeles. Something's 100 years old. And... I'm sure you've heard the story, possibly from me. The sign started is a real estate advertisement and it said Hollywood land. But that too fell in disrepair. And if you see some of those pictures in the 60s and 70s, man, that the O looks like a U. Some of the letters fell down. It really I couldn't even imagine being alive and looking up at that sad, dilapidated sign. But thank you, Hugh Hefner. Not just for Playboy. But in 1978, Hugh Hefner led a public campaign to restore the Hollywood sign. And they completely renovated more permanent structure, higher quality structure. And Hef and nine other donors gave 30 grand each. That's it. I mean, back then, 1978, sure, it's probably like 100000 But for the wealthy, rich people in Los Angeles, nothing. And each of the sponsors sponsored a replacement letter. And thusly... That's what you've seen ever since. And going up there, look, I didn't go up and like touch the sign. In fact, you probably shouldn't because it's protected with alarms and motion sensors. But I've seen some pictures of people that go up there. But if you do go up, go all the way up Beachwood and enter Sunset Ranch and walk up. It's a nice hike. Or you could do what we did. We went to Lake Hollywood Park, which I didn't even know existed. Because again, I was like, go to the Hollywood sign. How cliche, but I had to go and I'm so glad I did You hike probably a couple miles. It's not too challenging. It's basically uphill. And look, you need to shimmy through a hole in the fence. Again, you're not supposed to go. But you'll make your way. You'll see other people, right? And you'll make your way up towards this plateau that puts you within like a couple hundred yards of the sign. And it really is mind-blowing just realizing the symbolism of that sign for Los Angeles. Go do that because that is also free. And now look, it's summer, right? So we know the beach is free. I could be like, go to the beach. But specifically, go to Nicholas Canyon County Beach in Malibu. This one's significant because this was the first official beach acquired by the Department of Beaches in Los Angeles. July 1st, 1973. We're going on 50 years. And of course, there were beaches before in Los Angeles. But no new beaches had been opened since 1945. And this was part of the Department of Beaches opening public access ways in Malibu and throughout the county for public use. We only had 9.4 miles of public beaches prior to Nicholas Canyon opening 50 years ago. And this was, I mean, it made LA, modern LA, because in the first seven years, they expanded it fourfold. We went from nine miles to 36 miles of public beaches. And thank you, Nicholas Canyon, for being the first. That's what a lot of people say Los Angeles is about, is the beaches. And 50 years ago, Nicholas Canyon set it off. And it's worth noting, surfers refer to this beach as zeros or point zero because it's one of the few perfect point breaks, f- point breaks left in Los Angeles County. So it's a big surf beach, but it's gorgeous. It's fun. Go do that also free now is one that touches my heart one of my favorite places in los angeles that is kind of surprisingly free ucla i'm talking about the entire campus Now i went there many years ago and it was beautiful but my son did a track and field camp up there this summer and this campus continues to evolve it is stunning We're talking expansive lawns, red brick buildings, huge trees everywhere. On that campus, there's a sculpture garden, an inverted fountain, and just views of everything. And it's an amazing place to spend a day, have a picnic, play some Frisbee, or just walk around. And the funny thing is this wasn't the original UCLA campus. There never was even really supposed to be a UCLA. In 1881, what is now UCLA was the Southern branch of the California state normal school in downtown. It was just to train teachers. And by 1912, they moved, they sold the campus. And in 1914, they moved to a new campus in East Hollywood on Vermont. And again, it still wasn't like this huge college, but it began to expand, began to enroll more people and get a little bit of prestige. So it outgrew that East Hollywood campus And eventually the UC Regents were like, all right, we need this to be a real university in Los Angeles. So they opened the southern branch of the University of California. And in 1929, UCLA opened its gates to 5,000 students who started class on that beautiful, gorgeous Westwood campus. Seriously, if you are near near there, spend a day, spend a couple hours. It's it's really one of my favorite places in LA. And it's also free. Now, coming up next, this one's fun. Graystone Mansion. Again, I keep using that word beautiful, but these are. This is what makes LA so awesome, part of it. So so much beauty. And this is one of the most beautiful parks and houses. And it's in Beverly Hills. But it's free. It is a hidden gem. Just walking around. The garden. The views. And the story behind this one is really cool. This was a private house, right? Completed in 1928 for the son of the oil tycoon, Edward Doheny. It was built for his son, Ned. 55 rooms. 46,000 square feet. This thing is a mansion on 16 acres. Cost four million dollars in 1928 that's equivalent to 70 million dollars now and at the time it was the most expensive home in california but five months after ned and his wife and their five kids moved in doheny died in a guest bedroom in what was called a murder suicide with his secretary hugh plunkett now there was a brief investigation and authorities ruled that that Plunkett shot Toheny and then turned the gun on himself. But it's a mystery. There's rumor. There's speculation. Was it tied to another scandal? Was it a murder-suicide or was it just made to look that way? Kind of, Kind of open-ended despite the investigation. But his wife lived there for about 30 years. And then by 1965, the city of Beverly Hills actually purchased the property for only $1.3 million, which is kind of crazy considering how much it cost. And what they ended up doing, they installed a nineteen million gallon water tank on the property because just coincidentally, that site on top of a hilltop has tremendous natural water pressure. So today it's Beverly Hills's largest reservoir, which is kind of funny on this Greystone Mansion property. And what Beverly Hills did, thank you. From the people uh, on behalf of the people of Los Angeles in 1971, the entire site, including the mansion, was dedicated as a public park by the city of Beverly Hills. So I think you need a, an appointment to go in the mansion itself. Look up the website, but you can go to that park and walk around the grounds. And that's a really, really fun place to spend a day. Now, another one that's one of my one of my favorites, and you've heard me talk about it. So I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it. But go to Alvera Street. Again, I, I was always conflicted. Is this just trinkets and tchotchkes? Are we just falling into a tourist trap? No. Placito Overa, Overa Street. It's it's basically the center of the oldest part of downtown Los Angeles, right on the Pueblo. And Some people call it the birthplace of Los Angeles. This is real. The Pobladores in 1781. They set up shop there close by. And what they also built there was the Zanja Madre. This is the mother ditch. This was the canal built by the first settlers of L.A. to bring water from the river to the new village that would become the city. This is the heart of the founding of Los Angeles because without water, there is no L.A. And guess what? You walk down Alvera Street today, and it's, it's, it's marked, but it's very subtle. There's a different color brick segment that you can follow through Alvera Street. And guess what? That traces the Zanha Madre. You are walking on history right there. And now I'm not going to get into other details, how it's, you know, it used to be Wine Street. It's a short street. Christine Sterling kind of helped renovate it. But it's a great place. There's beautiful murals. It's got so much history. So go to Alvera Street. That is a fun and free thing to do. But bring some money because you're going to want to eat there too. I, I love the food. Shout out to Celito Lindo from Juanusco, Sacatecas. Same place my wife's uh, family's from, by the way. So shout out to them. But some great restaurants here. Now, another free place I love, Urban Light. Mm -hmm. Another cliche. Yeah, I know. It was the most Instagram spot in Los Angeles. Everybody Instagram there. But you know why it's cool besides the fact that it's free and besides the fact that it's friggin' dope, honestly, is because Chris Burden, that's the artist that, that created this arrangement. Those lamps, those street lamps, they come from the streets of Southern California. Those were real street lamps. Hollywood, Glendale, some from Anaheim, some from Portland. But there's 16 different streetlight models represented. And they were commissioned for the particular neighborhoods and streets in LA. And this is a representation of the whole county. And again, I did an episode on streetlights. Each city at one point was responsible for designing its own lamps. And that's why they're different. That's why they're artistic. Each lamp was an expression of that city's design. This was public art. And Burden collected these things and put them together for us for free. Go take a picture. Go post it on Instagram. It's a cool spot to be. Miracle. mile. Just driving down Miracle Mile is fun and free. And I do need to mention this. Before Urban Light, Burden was famous for a work from 1971 called Shoot. <laughs> wow. Where he stood in a gallery in Santa Ana and let a friend shoot him in the arm with a .22 caliber rifle from 15 feet away for the sake of art. Now that is an artist. But yeah, Urban Life is free. Check it out. Check it out. Okay. Next up is Forest Lawn Glendale. Why am I telling you to go to a cemetery? I always say I'm not infatuated with cemeteries, but it kind of turns out I am. I mean, I've been to New Orleans, Savannah. Love seeing those like beautiful kind of cemeteries. But Forest Lawn which is a flagship forest lawn. I know it's like a chain. I don't know if you call it a funeral chain, but there are multiple forest lawns. But the one in Glendale is absolutely gorgeous. I went up there, and you might have heard me talk about it, for the world's largest religious painting by Jan Steika, the Crucifixion, which is at the Hall of Crucifixion, which is a building simply for the world's largest religious painting, and it's magnificent and awe-inspiring but that's just a part of what's at Forest Lawn Glendale. There's museums, mausoleums, artwork. And the thing is, Hubert Eaton, who basically made Forest Lawn what it is, was convinced that cemeteries were unsightly and depressing. Kind of true, right? So the reason why this is so beautiful is because he wanted to create one that would reflect his optimism and the celebration of life, not so much, you know, the... the uh, morning of death and with the trees with the fountains it's the architecture it really is a great place i'm not kidding you could drive around see these different buildings everything's open obviously have some respect don't disturb anybody but it's really really a neat place to spend a day and the views what i was really enamored with is right behind the hall of crucifixion You get to see views of the city from a perspective that I never see. It's kind of looking north, west, and east. So you get to see like Glendale and that area like to the east there because you're situated, it's kind of situated where you're not in the valley, you're outside the valley, but you see the valley. You see the San Gabriel Valley, and then on the other side you see LA. It's really, really good vista. So check that out. And last but not least, now this one's not free. Got to be honest with you. But it's almost free. Talking about Angel's Flight. You know, Angel's Flight, this is said to be the world's shortest railway. It's got what's called a funicular counterbalance cars controlled by cables that travel on a 33% grade for 315 feet. But it's so cute and it's right in the middle of downtown. And what's funny is, Angel's Flight is carrying more passengers per mile than any other railway in the world. Over 100 million people went on rail on Angel's Flight in its first 50 years. And the story of Angel's Flight is really cool because it was built in 1901. Privately built by a man named Colonel J.W. Eddy who was a lawyer, an engineer, and this is the one that got me. Personal friend of President Abraham Lincoln. I always loved the historic touch. And Lincoln, I'm learning directly and indirectly, actually had an impact on Los Angeles, which is really cool. Check out my episode on Wilmington. Wilmington was founded because of Lincoln. Did you know that Wilmington was the uh, headquarters for the Union Army on the West Coast? I didn't. Uh, So Lincoln, Angel's Flight. But the thing is, Angel's Flight was actually closed after 68 years in 1969 because Bunker Hill went, went... They totally redeveloped, demolished Bunker Hill, destroyed, displaced a community. And they built it into a modern mixed-use district, high-rises, apartments, condos, you know the drill. And Angel's Flight was one of the casualties. And they just stored it for 27 years. But luckily in 1996, they reopened it with a couple hiccups It's now open and running now 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. including holidays and though it's not free a one-way ride costs you one dollar or you can get a round trip for two And if you have a metro card you only pay 50 cents now that fits into any income bracket and that concludes episode 24 of in a minute with Evan Lovett if you enjoyed it please leave me a five-star rating. And honestly, if you have some time, leave a review. That really helps. The algorithm makes me smile, gives us some good numbers. No, but as we're moving up the charts, every review really helps us break into that top echelon and we are moving that direction. I appreciate you and thank you for listening, regardless of your income. All right, y'all, it's been a minute.